we've lived with this. Like we're, this is, we're done with this. Look, you are now invading Ukraine. We're not going to stand for it. And we're certainly not going to side with people who say that Russia's security interests are the problem here. Hello there. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I have my second interview with Matthew Majinski. Now, Matthew originally reached out to me after hearing the show I recorded with Scott Horton from antiwar.com discussing the Russia-Ukraine conflict, where he said that no wars are just and that the West had goaded Russia into action. Now, this is something Matthew strongly disagrees with, and he came on the show to give his perspective as a Latvian-American living out in that part of the world. Now, this is a very powerful show, and it clearly and understandably means so much to Matthew, so he gets pretty impassioned in this. Anyway, if you've got any questions about this or other perspectives, feel free to reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I am conscious this isn't really a Bitcoin show today, but we do occasionally touch on these kind of asymmetric topics of governance and politics, global issues, because it feels quite relevant to the world of Bitcoin. So yeah, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, do feel free to get in touch with me. Matthew, how are you, man? Peter, good morning. Good to Doing see, well, my friend. Good to see you, and good to do this in person, because last time we spoke, it was a remote one. Yep, and, uh, after one of the honey badgers. Yeah, but now we're um, able to do these shows in person, so I appreciate you coming to sunny Bedford and uh, spending some time with us. Hey, man, congrats to you guys on the growth of the show, and it's just lovely. Thank you. Place you got here. Yeah, no, appreciate that, man. Um, it's you know, we're very lucky. Uh, we, we're lucky we get to speak to smart people like you, and I just get to ask the uh, the dumb questions and learn a bit. Go from on, you. go on. Come on, man. Your show is much better than mine. <laughs> Smarter <laughs> shit. Um, there's a lot to talk about, but um, one topic that's gone a little bit off radar recently, but really shouldn't, is a uh, war between Ukraine and Russia, which I know you've got some strong thoughts on. Uh, I did an interview with Scott Horton, as you know, a tough interview for me to do because he has a massive recall of history, uh, of which is very difficult for me to challenge because I'm not an anti-war advocate like he is, and I haven't spent uh, years studying the history of war like he has. So I felt very passive in that interview. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it did feel like he gave a, a quite a bit of a pass to Russia. And to me, that's very reflective of the kind of Uh, Debates are in public at the moment whereby there is certainly a, I don't want to call it pro-Russia, but it comes across as pro-Russia, but kind of anti-West attitude whereby if you show any kind of support for Ukraine in this situation, you're considered, I I support the latest thing meme. Uh, But it doesn't sit comfortably with me because they're a country that's, they're a sovereign nation that's been invaded. Uh, At the same time, there's lots of uh, questions around the, actions of uh, NATO and Western nations and the provocation. And uh, I don't always know where to sit between these two kind of arguments, but I know you have strong opinions, so I'm just going to let you tell me your thoughts on all of this. Well, yeah, I do have very strong opinions on this one. Um, for uh, listeners that are viewers as well that might not know, uh, I am American, as you might tell by my accent, but I'm also Latvian of a Lat- Latvian heritage. My father's entire side of my father's family is from Latvia originally. So uh, I've also been living there since 2006. Uh, I'm a dual national citizen. So, you know, I grew up uh, American, grew up in the Midwest, very, uh, you know, 
nice, positive childhood from some of those uh, aspects, I guess. But, you know, in Eastern Europe in the 90s, when I was growing up, it was a totally different thing. And a lot of that is uh, kind of a lot of the problems that happened in the 90s are coming home to roost right now. So we have a lot of very, very strong feelings about it. I'm absolutely biased. I wouldn't uh, dispute that. Uh, also, as I said, I'm from the Midwest, though, so we like to start with a few disclaimers. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. All right. We always do that. Um, like I said, definitely, I don't want to go too far off the reservation as far as like history or whatnot. So definitely ask me if you have questions. We can make it more of a back and forth. But the, uh, I would say, I actually reached out to you guys regarding Scott Horton's interview as well, because um, I think that though I probably have way more in common, and you and I probably both have way more in common with someone like Scott Horton, you know, chairman, director of the Libertarian Institute, editor of antiwar.com, than, you know, say, I don't know, Joe Biden or Trump, all right, like any of these very far off political figures we can still have very, very different views when it comes to something like personal uh, uh, sovereignty of your nation, sovereignty of your land, uh, your liberty. And surprisingly, like you said, uh, there's this sort of pass that's given to uh, the other side, strangely. Um, so anyway, I, I want to say, even though it's probably going to come off that I'm quite anti uh, this libertarian view or this classical liberal view in the U.S. that Scott Horton espouses, I'm definitely not. I mean, it's definitely sort of my, I enjoy the philosophy. I love it. All right. Do, do you think, I'm um, sorry to jump in, yeah. but do you think it's, uh, Scott is presented with quite a conflict in a situation like this because um, he's obviously very anti-US imperialism. Um, uh, very, like I, I listened to his interviews with Tom Woods. Um, he obviously would be uh, very critical of US foreign policy with regards to what's happened in the Middle East. And therefore, when this situation has arisen, he's perhaps been so anti-US for a good couple of decades now that he finds it difficult to defend the US in this situation. Yeah, and that was exactly the next thing I was going to say. Right. Is, I mean, like, I, I've said this, my, my listeners have heard me say this so often, they're probably sick of it, but it, you, you have to catch yourself if you realize that the only thing that you're talking about all day, every day is your hatred for the US empire. All right. The U.S. empire has done a lot of bad things. And I would continue on what I said before about agreeing with him. I absolutely did not support the baby Bush invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. All right. Cheney, Bush, Rumsfeld, all the bunch of them finishing up his daddy's war. All of those things, very controversial and very much uh, put the United States in a bad moral footing as it goes to what Russia is doing with Ukraine here. We were the ones that invaded those countries. All right. We don't have to go in, you know, so the rest about 9-11 and the fact that they're all Saudis and whatnot. But I mean, like th those are the pretexts of us going into those countries. And that was, that was very unfortunate for a, a United States sort of moral leadership in mm -hmm. the world today. But there comes a point where you have to catch yourself and, and realize how disillusioned you are with the U.S. government. And I've lived abroad. Yeah, it's, it's Eastern Europe. All right. It's not, you know, Africa or East Asia, but I've lived abroad and I can see that the world is a very, very different place than the views of the, uh, the Texas libertarians, I like to call them. Uh, a Texas libertarian is a term I also use. Scott happens to be from Texas. He also is a libertarian, chairman of the Libertarian Institute. So it pretty much fits him. But I promise you, this is not solely directed in my views at Scott here. This is not, that's not my, my point either. And I guess the last sort of main disclaimer that I was thinking about is like, we're talking about national defense here. We're talking about the hard problem. 
as David Friedman said, this is the hard problem. Uh, he said that for a reason. Uh, this is the pretext that any government throughout history has used to invade another government. And Russia has always used this as well, because um, all you have to do is say that our citizens are suffering some human rights abuses or our citizens are suffering persecution. And then you can go in and take that land that you want, that you say that some of your citizens or people, in this case, Russians living in Ukraine or ethnic Russians living in Ukraine, they're being persecuted against. So we need to go in and protect them. And that's, that's absolutely the view that, uh, that Putin has, uh, has taken with Ukraine. So I think it would be useful to just give a little bit of the, bit of the historical context for the people who don't understand perhaps um, what, what happened after the fall of the USSR and what's happened to these countries in Eastern Europe. I've spent a bit of time, I've been to obviously Latvia, Riga, but I've also been to Lithuania, I've been mm -hmm. to Estonia, uh, I've been to Ukraine itself. I went out to an England football game there once and uh, similar-ish countries, but all also very independent with their own cultures. Yeah. And I, um, I think if, if you're going to take a view on this region and you haven't been there, you've, you've got certain challenges. But even myself, I don't understand the historical context of the relationship between them and the USSR. I understand they were part of it and there was a breakup of the USSR, but I don't understand what that meant for, say, border regions. Yeah. So it is challenging for, um, again, the average American uh, to understand the differences there in Eastern Europe. Um, basically, after the fall of the USSR, you had three countries that were the start, that, that the impetus of the breakup, which was Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. They were the first ones to proclaim independence. Uh, Georgia and Azerbaijan did very much at the same time as well. Uh, but they had a little bit of a different history than the Baltic people, which were always on the Western forefront of the USSR. Um, as well for us, if you're following this on Ukraine Twitter at all, uh, which I must admit I'm much more on Ukraine Twitter these days than I'm on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, just because it means so much to us here, but you're going to see that the Balts are the most outspoken against what's happening in Ukraine because it happened to us. I mean, we were, and so after World War, again, not to go to too much in, deep into the history, but after World War II, we were annexed by the USSR. Uh, that was an illegal vote, 100% voted for the Communist Party. Everybody in the West said it was illegal. Uh, there's something called the Wells Declaration, which was Secretary of State at the time. He made a declaration, basically the, Balts have been, the Baltic countries have been illegally annexed by the Soviet Union. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, Latvia and probably Estonia and Lithuania celebrated 100 years of unbroken diplomatic relations with the United States. You might ask yourself if we were part of the Soviet Union for 50 years, 40 years, how did that happen? It's because they never recognized the annexation of the Baltic countries into the Soviet Union, which is very important. And it's very important that liberal democracies, Western free people continue to do this. It's very important what happened, what's happening in Taiwan right now, in South Korea, wherever. I mean, we have to protect uh, the idea of liberal democracy. And that's a very hard thing for, again, a Texas libertarian to think about where you just want to kind of chill out. And I am all for, if, if, if you're, if you want to uh, take the non-interventionist view uh, of, of the world, take the non-interventionist view, remove yourself from NATO, all that stuff from a libertarian standpoint, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but I think then you're going to have to start talking about, okay, what's the role of the U S government there? You know, are you going to talk, how are you going to do it? You're going to have secession or all these things. And I like those ideas. Those are great philosophical, another disclaimer, right? I love talking about these philosophical ideas. But in the year 2022, we are like 
who knows, are we a thousand years from where all of us are going to have private uh, personal property, private money, private defense agencies, private insurance? Are we 500 years from that? I don't know, but I'm not going to stand to see Ukrainian babies, little girls. I mean, I have a daughter now. It's just, it's sickening little girls being raped uh, in Bucha, people being shot with their hands tied behind their back, mutilations. Millions have been uh, forced to flee Ukraine and millions have been deported to Russia. So whether you're talking about the tens of thousands of deaths, hundreds of thousands of lives ruined uh, physically from the bombings, the shellings, or the millions of displaced persons, we are not going to let that happen again. The Balts, the Balts have been through it and the Western world left us. Like the United States didn't ignore that. I mean, my father being an American Latvian, his grandparents fled uh, right during, after World War II. They were displaced persons in Germany, as many were. Some went to the UK, some went to Australia, some went to the US. But you had, you know, you had millions of Eastern Europeans fleeing precisely the area we're talking about with Ukraine because after the horrid atrocities of the Nazis, people just forgot about the horrid atrocities of the Soviets. And again, that's a, that's a challenge for libertarians to think about like what might you have done or what could you have done? I mean, don't forget Churchill wanted to go all the way to Moscow. He wanted to go because he saw how bad that they were. Okay. The average libertarian in the U S would say, no, hell no, we're not going to spend more American lives on that. We're not going to do it. But you lost a, a huge faction and generations of people behind the iron curtain, wealth, everything was just fell behind. And so that's what the Soviet Union was. That's what it was all about. That's what it was so amazing to have the Berlin Wall fall. And we were all a part of that. Um, the Balts led the way. The Balts peacefully uh, led to the breakup of the Soviet Union. There were only a few murders. Gorbachev was generally pretty good, but he also did uh, send tanks into Vilnius in like 1989. Uh, actually, sorry, 1991. 1989, we started the protest. 1991, the same year that the Soviet Union was dissolved, uh, he sent tanks in. Uh, a bunch of people were killed in Lithuania and, and whatnot, but it was, it was, you're talking a drop in the bucket compared to what it could have been a country of, you know, a supranational country of 180 million people or something. Um, I've dissolved, been to Vilnius. Dissolved peacefully. Yeah. So I am uh, married to a Lithuanian. She's actually yeah. a Belarusian origin. Uh, I've worked in Estonia many Lavas. times. So I got, yeah, Lavas, Lavas. So I got, I got a lot of uh, connections all around the Baltics and I got a lot of friends in Ukraine. All right. I know, uh, I have Jewish friends that are married to Ukrainians. Like we can talk about all this. All right. You know, and, and by the way, I think we should just go from zero to 60 because we should just attack some of these issues that are, in my opinion, complete straw man. So one is the Nazi one. Uh, again, I'm, I'm from the U S you're not going to gaslight me on the Nazi thing. And by the way, I thought as libertarians, we were not supposed to, you know, be part of this woke establishment. We're just going to call people Nazis, you know, ad libit and just, you know, just say, okay, this, I don't like this person. They're a Nazi. Right. Let's, let's, let's tee this up though. Let's tee it Firstly, up. Firstly, you're very up. fired up, which is good to see. <laughs> I'll tell you why, why it's glad to see it because, um, I, for me, it was very clear as Russia invaded Ukraine, this was, a uh, an invasion of a sovereign country an uh, unwarranted invasion of a sovereign country for the second time within a decade. It was very clear what was happening. And if I ever tried to make public comment on it, it was like, you support the latest thing meme. 
yeah, yada, yada, sure. all that shit was coming out. And I, I almost got tired of like trying to say, like, hold on, Putin is a psychopathic dictator. Yeah. He also a sad journalists. atmosphere of post-COVID yeah. interventions, post-Canadian truckers, Dutch farmers, all these things. People get tired of it. Mm. It's like Ukraine is just another one of those. But. But for me, it's very clear what is happening here. You must defend a sovereign nation when they're being invaded by an, by an aggressor. So you wanted to talk, you want to zero to six, you want to start with the Nazi thing. Let's just tear it up and explain that. Yeah. One of the um, excuses given for the war uh, was the Azor, uh, Azov, yeah, Azov battalion. battalions and the, the problem with the existence of Nazis or Nazi groups within yeah. uh, Eastern Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Country so, with a Jewish president. Exactly. Um, cannot be, you know, more understated there. But uh, I, um, that's that's the scenario. That's the storyline. And unfortunately for people like Scott Horton, got on your show and saying basically the same thing. Uh, another interesting one, though, was when he was debating Bill Crystal. All right. The neocon, not a fan of Bill Crystal. I absolutely, when you're talking about the U.S. invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, again, I agree uh, with all of the arguments that he's putting forward there. I agree with his arguments against Bill Crystal, but we're now talking about a Russian invasion of Ukraine. So here's an interesting thing that I noticed. Uh, sorry to single out Scott, but here it is. Uh, during the debate that he had with Bill Crystal, he'd say something like this. He'd say, you have to either acknowledge that someone like Hitler was an exception to the rule or he was the rule. I claim he's the exception. So as Scott would, I would agree with this, rightly pose, uh, I'm not going to go and call all of my political foes Hitler, which he would always, and I've Scott, followed Scott for a long time, okay, He's, he would always uh, have a problem with any sort of politician, regardless of who it, who it was, all right, some uh, Speaker of the House or whoever, uh, getting up there, we're talking about Saddam, Ahmadinejad, um, you know, Gaddafi, anybody in, in the Middle East, all right, you're going to find some American politicians who are going to call them Hitler-like or even Stalin-like. But Hitler-like is obviously the one that's going to trigger, right? That's, that's the Nazi uh, comparison. So he said in his debate with, with Bill Crystal, that's either the exception or it's not. I think it's the exception. We should not just go along. And this, this is following the libertarian line, which is supposed to be anti-woke, not calling people Nazis, all right? We, we shouldn't just call people Hitler. We shouldn't just call people Nazis. It's sort of a tremendous lack of self-awareness. I don't think he realized that later on in the debate, there was a question about Ukraine. He proceeded to call a huge faction of Ukrainians Nazis because of the Azov Battalion, because of what he thought happened in Maidan, which we can talk about. Uh, he's done that multiple, multiple times, not just in, uh, in, in that uh, debate, which was just so stark, because he, in the same debate, he can say, we're not supposed to call people Hitler. By the way, Ukrainians are Nazis. And on your show, he's calling Ukrainians Nazis. The Azov Battalion, right, we, we don't have to go through this, but let's just, again, let's straw, let's, let's straw man it, or I don't know if it's a steel man steel or straw man, man in this example. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a steel man. Let's, uh, let's say that the entire country of Ukraine is actually Nazis, all 40 million of them, all right? Even Zelensky, the Jewish president. Okay, let's just, let's not say that it's a million, or excuse me, that's a thousand strong regiment in the far east of Ukraine, which is around this sea of Azov, which for whatever reason, I don't know, they had uh, some, some Nazi-like uh, uh, affinities there. Let's not assume that it's, you know, the one person that was elected to, uh, to parliament post-Maidan in 2014. There hasn't been any 
political faction represented by Azov or any of these sort of fringe groups at all in Ukraine since then. Let's not assume it was only those small things. Let's assume it was the whole country of Ukraine that was Nazis, card-carrying Nazis. And I thought it, by the way, I'm just sorry to these little sidebars, but I thought it was so funny on this show that he's sitting there and saying like, you know, these, these Nazis in Charlottesville, you know, with the tattoos sitting in prison, they're not real Nazis. I know what real Nazis are. These are the ones in, in Ukraine. What, what, what is a real Nazi now in the modern context? I don't know. You'd have to ask Be- him that. Because but that, I, like, that's actually an interesting point. Is it, is it a Nazi sympathizer? Is it somebody who uh, hates the Jewish? Is it somebody who's trying to, I don't know, wants to kill, you know, kill people? Like what, what is it? When you yeah, say someone's say a Nazi now, yeah, you just say it's, it's, I mean, Ahmadinejad said he wanted to what? Just fascist <sighs> beliefs? Yeah, I think this was a bad translation of Ahmadinejad. I by no means would try to defend him in any, any means, but it, I believe he said, let's wipe Israel at the face of the map. That might've been a bad translation, but let's just say yeah. someone who wants to wipe Israel at the face of the map, hates Jews, wants to kill Jews, whatever. Let's presume that Ukraine, a country of 40 million people, which has much stronger and longer Catholic from the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which we're going to get into, Catholic roots than they do even Eastern Orthodox roots, which is more of an anti-Semitic branch of the Christian, of the Catholic Christian Church, Christian Church, the Eastern Orthodox uh, branch of the uh, of Christianity, which uh, basically just lives on in, in Russia now. Let's presume that the whole country is Nazis. All right, do we still justify justify Vladimir Putin moving the tanks in on February twenty fourth, raping, killing, mutilating girls, families? I mean, these pictures. Like, I, I just, I can't. I, it, it just the absolute lack of self awareness, the hypocrisy, and again, we're supposed to be the anti woke. Don't get too, you know, carried up in, in a little bit of the craziness that's happened, was happening in the U.S. in 2020, 20, 2021. But you just forget all that for Eastern Europe. You forgot it. It's a different place to you. It's something that only exists in your mind. They're just a bunch of Nazis. So I don't know if I explained the complete hypocrisy and lack of self-awareness that I see there, but that's what I see. I see everything we've been saying. You need to defend uh, a country that is being invaded is it not important, though, at that point to kind of separate the groups of people who are supporting Ukraine or against supporting Ukraine? Because it feels to me there's, again, it seems to just become part of the U.S. culture war because um, it seems to me if you're a Democrat, you, you might have a Ukraine flag in your, yeah. in your profile. A bit of, bit of a virtual signal, but at the same time, you know, the Democrats do want to send money out to support um, Zelensky and want to support their military efforts yeah. and it seems to be the more from a uh, Republican libertarian side that's critical of this as saying we shouldn't be interfering we don't want to get involved they want to bring up history of like corruption in Ukraine or they, they want to bring up reasons to not align with the decisions that the Democrat party is may, maybe making is it just down to a culture war I reject the premise okay right. it's it's down to being moving more boldly ever against evil in the world, as Macy said. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about Western liberal democracies and we're talking about a kleptocratic dictator who is never democratic, Vladimir Putin, and we'll get to him in a mm. second. But it is about being ever more boldly against the evil, going ever more boldly against evil in the world. That's what it's about. So, you know, 20 years ago, it was the you know baby Bush and the neocons that were supporting uh, these types of uh, things like arming 
nations that are suffering uh, from dictatorial regimes. And, you know, it's a tough one when it's just a tough one to go back and forth on that, because I do absolutely believe political football is always being played by uh, not only countries that the United States might want influence over or even resources over. I mean, let's just not forget about what's happening with the petrodollar last 50 years. When we talk about money and inflation, we can get into those things. But, you know, (laughs) this is the world that we live in in 2022. Okay, there are Absolutely. There's political football. There are things that, you know, one year might seem like the Republicans are in favor for. It's pretty sad that 20 years, like it's only a Democrats, 20 years later, it's only Democrats that are in favor for. I can't give you an answer for that. But again, I can tell you we're not a thousand years from now where we're in our utopian libertarian classical liberal anarcho-capitalist paradise, where we all have private property, sufficient ammunition to defend our own private property, private insurance, private money, all the rest. We are just not there. So again, the choice is crystal clear for us. You're going to forget Ukraine, just like the Balts were forgotten in uh, post World War II era, or we don't. And I absolutely am in favor of not doing that. I can talk about, you know, ways to do that. Uh, Bitcoin donations, all the rest, but that's, that's a little bit later. But there is a lot of support. So the, um, the lens people see it may be very different from where they are. Um, there may be, say, out in America, there may be different factions, groups of people. Again, might be a political football, but mm. have different opinions about Ukraine and whether it should be supported. Here in the UK, it's universal support. Yeah, there is there there is no um, half of the country is saying we shouldn't be involved. We should, there's universal support. Yeah. The government have been very supportive of it. The um, the opposition party have been very. Supported of the supportive of our government supporting yeah. Ukraine, we've been very supportive of bringing people in from Ukraine. I mean, that's another sad thing. When you mentioned everything happened, is didn't actually mention the separation of families. So a lot of families come to live here, but it's the mom, the grandma, the children. There's no dads coming. There's no brothers. There's no uncles. It's all. I mean, we we put a family up in Birmingham. Uh, somebody I was with yesterday has got a family they've put up here. There's a lot of people coming over. They're. Every, it's almost universal support here. Do you, have you got that feeling? Uh, yeah, I mean, universal might be too strong, but it's the vast, vast majority. Yeah, yeah. It, it isn't there, it, it isn't part of a culture war. It is a sovereign nation has been invaded, cities are being destroyed, yeah. people are being murdered. How do we help them? Yeah, and that's, uh, that's I think, as well, an interesting uh, illustrative aspect of the difference between Americans and uh, Brits. And if we're talking about the culture war... And Let's what say Europe. Sorry, yeah, Europe, Europe. Let's say Europe, actually. And, and if we want to take it further with the culture war and whatnot, I mean, if we want to talk about the philosophy that I like reading, Austrian, uh, libertarian, anarcho-capitalist philosophy, whatever, I mean, it's just interesting that a lot of those people are centered in Texas. <laughs> so you got the Texas libertarians that really, really care about these things, and they're just like, okay, non-intervention, let's build up our own war chest. Again, things that I understand, but you know, not to belabor the point, like we are talking about sovereignty of a of an independent nation in a society where we said never again we said never again after world war ii so uh that's that's uh, the important point there and then as well i think another reason why britain is so um so forceful on this is because you have a historical precedent of trying to keep the peace in europe i mean uh the UK declared war on Nazi Germany on September 1st, 1939, when the Nazis rolled in the tanks. It was a bright, beautiful, sunny day in Berlin. No one, no German had a clue uh, that what was happening on, you know, the 
in, in Poland, which fell in a month from Nazi Germany after it was carved up between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. Baltz followed um, in 1940. Uh, Britain was the only country from the beginning of World War II until the end to stay with Poland. They had their alliances. They said, look, we're not going to, this is, we're not going to stand. We're going to declare on you, uh, de declare war on you. And unfortunate for Poland and all of the Iron Curtain, the Czechs, the Slovaks, Hungarians, Bulgarians, Romanians, we all fell behind this Iron Curtain, which was the peace that was made, unfortunately, after uh, World War II. Uh, you know, the, the, the big powers just making the, uh, the agreements to, you know, this is how we're going to, this is going to be the post-World War order. And that's, that's a bit sad. I think that, um, you know, again, I, I don't want to rewrite history. Uh, and Scott was trying to do that with, with World War I, which again, I thought was very inappropriate because I just can't see how, uh, let's say Woodrow Wilson, his existence as a man is going to stop uh, Adolf Hitler. It's going to stop Joseph Stalin. It's going to stop Lenin. All of these just boorish idiots in Moscow from taking on these horrible ideas of Marx. You're going to say that all of that was from, you know, Woodrow Wilson. I mean, that didn't stop the building of the Kiel Canal uh, before World War I. That didn't stop all sorts of just horrible things that were happening. Also, the nationalist movements from uh, countries that were trying to become independent after World War I, which the, the Balts were a part of that. But anyway, uh, I'm getting sidebar, which I said I would not do. But um, yeah, I don't know. Any more points on that, I guess? Well, there, there's a lot of questions I'd like to yeah. ask you. Um, one thing, what is the relationship between the Baltic nations? Very good. Very harmonious. Um, there's a tweet uh, I saw last month. It's, uh, there's a border town. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, Volga in, uh, in Estonia, Volga in Latvia, Volga, Volga. And um, it's always shared a border well before Soviet times, whatever. It's always shared a border. And uh, now they have built a skateboarding jump across the border. And it's just hilarious. Like, can you imagine like between countries, just like Love this it. skateboarder going over, jumping, uh, they got like Latvian flags on the one side, Estonian flags on the other side. So it's fantastic. And how, how much uh, both pol political support, but military support are, is Ukraine getting from the other nations? Uh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, you saw the visa bans that started, um, which is another thing we could talk about. Uh, maybe I want to hold that off though, because these are still some of the solutions. And um, I still want to maybe talk about, I have some receipts here that I still want to talk about Let's go through it. regarding uh, saying why this is so different that we can't defend a place like Ukraine in 2022 uh, when it's trying to defend their sovereignty. So here's another one. So I, I brought up the, I, I don't know if I hit the bullseye or the mark on the Nazi thing is the reality of it is that there are factions of people who I, who are consider themselves Nazis or are some form of nationalist, right wing nationalist, as you get in pretty much every country we, we have in there are people in Germany, there's people there's in Russia, yeah. there's people in the U S oh, my Jewish friends always say like, look at Russia. I mean, you think Ukraine has Nazis, look at Russia. Yeah. And if you're going to talk about Azov, Russia had these parties, Rush, Russia for Russians. Yeah. Uh, these parties, these factions, these neo-Nazi groups, tens of thousands of people. If you want to talk about Nazi problem, it's, it's the epicenter is in Russia. The pale of settlement. We're going to talk about a little bit of history. The pale of settlement. Okay. This was a Russian czarist idea where all Jews in the empire were going to be deported to a certain part of Eastern Europe. Unfortunately, it was parts like Ukraine, Belarus, um, and they're just going to stay there. They, they can't leave. They can't vote. And that's where they live. 
that's what the but they're still servants, right? That's that you know, and and the Russian Empire was way different than like the Austrian Empire, the German Empire. You had kind of like a middle class in those empires. The Russian Empire, these people were dirt poor peasants, just dirt poor. So when you mix in, you know, poverty and uh, a, a state-sponsored pale of settlement regime, which is the product of the Russian Empire, which I want to get back to because Scott Horton seemed to fondly look back at the Russian Empire, or at least not uh, not belittle Putin for looking back fondly at the Russian Empire. Lots to say about that. Um, but you know, th- th- this is this is what is going on in Eastern Europe. That's the historical context there. And one more thing, actually, about about that. Um, small sidebar, but again, I'm all for being non-anti-woke as far as the U.S. stuff goes. Okay, we know that there's Marxist uh, Marxist uh, beginnings of the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, mm-hmm. there are. That's 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 a fact. That's even acknowledged, I believe, by the founders. But uh, who, who own big houses? Yeah, it's 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 unreal. All right. And we're supposed to be against this stuff, right? Yeah. Like anti, you know, anti-woke or whatever, non-woke, whatever way you want to say it. Okay, the skeleton key for unlocking all of the bullshit with this movement is Eastern Europe, all right? Eastern Europe is 99.999% white. The only black people I've seen since 2006 in Latvia were the three that came from the US to play on the basketball teams. And there was a limit. You could only have three, the EuroLeague limit, three per team from the US. I'm not, I'm not joking there. I'm not making light of it or whatever. The Soviet Union was a closed, uh, country, just like the Pale of Settlement, you could not leave. You could not travel in the Soviet Union. They were all white. No Africans wanted to even go there. They'd much rather go to France where they have historical ties, colonial ties, unfortunately, but that's, you know, where they're going. You know, so this is the situation of Eastern Europe, 99.99% white. Generations fell behind the entire United States during the Cold War. Generations, all right? They said the Soviet Union was the second biggest economy in the world. It was a mirage. It was really Japan from like the 70s and the 80s, was just killing it, absolutely killing it. Soviet Union couldn't do anything. It remained the same state that it is today, a petro state, state that has natural resources, iron ore, but they couldn't build anything because they were founded on a horrible Marxist, communist, dictatorial ideology. That was the Bolshevik revolution, supposed to be all for the good, but as we know, uh, all of these things always just destroy uh, uh, people and society and civilization. So in my view, Literally, the thing that unlocks the bullshit of these of these uh, of this woke, you know, it's racism is behind the economic problems of certain people in the United States. I'm sorry to say, look at Eastern Europe, and look at Eastern Europe then, and look at Eastern Europe now. It's it, in places like the Baltics. It's it's thrived. Yeah, we ran as fast as we could from the Soviet Union in 1991, as fast as we could, and now we're middle of the pack in Europe as far as all of the all of the metrics go, and and growing and thriving. And people want to come there, people want to work there, all the rest. This show is brought to you by Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I'm a customer of Compass too, and I am back mining Bitcoin. And I've been mining for nearly a year now, and I've mined over 0.75 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. Now, anyone can start mining with Compass Mining. And to help you, Compass have launched the Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors such as price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you're interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S. 
M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up, we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm still only buying, right? We're hodlers. The market's looking good. We're not sellers. And I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Cake Wallet. Now, Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both my security and privacy because it doesn't share my important information with unnecessary third parties. With Cake Wallet, not only can I hodl Bitcoin, but I can easily pay privately with Monero. Cake Wallet is accelerating Bitcoin adoption, since they now support buying gift cards instantly with Bitcoin, which can be used at over 150,000 merchants in the US. You can easily purchase the exact amount you need at the register and have the gift card appear instantly within Cake Wallet without needing to wait for any confirmations. And you also get to save an average 2% on purchases. And Cake Pay only requires an email, nothing else. To check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Google or Apple app stores. Also today, we have BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and now they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. If you are looking for a banking provider that understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. I've just been out to Estonia. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Unbelievable, the progress. That, that I felt like I was just in, you know, because you have these kind of pictures. Maybe and I think it's probably because as a kid when I went to Yugoslavia a long time ago, yeah. um, you know, it was See a lesson. Yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah. I actually, so I was five years old. We drove from uh, the UK to Yugoslavia and um, went to Belgrade and then went down to the coast um, But before the breakup. But it, it was a much less developed nation. And the reason we went, we had a family move to Bedford where we live and lived two deals down for us who were Yugoslavian and they came for work and my mum taught them English so they invited us out there but it was a less developed nation so when I started going out to Eastern Europe I kind of expected the same I went to Estonia I mean it's as good as any any major city in Europe 100% unbelievable <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about I want to talk about Estonia a little bit as well I got some more receipts on that uh, Tomas Ilves if you want to follow Ukraine Twitter you want to get a raw to the bone, just straight on bullseye of every point as far as Lithuania, uh, as far as Eastern Europe should be looking and the world should be looking at helping Ukrainians. Follow Tomas Ilves. He's the former president of Estonia. We can put some of things up on the screen in a second. Uh, he's just as pissed as I am. He's just as pissed as all of us in Eastern Europe. Um, and he's not holding back. And his his tweets are just something to behold. So I would, I, 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 I again, I'm biased, but I would strongly encourage. And he was a coder. He was one of the guys that was very much 
he went to Columbia, by the way, and when the Baltics were suffering uh, during the financial crisis, Paul Krugman said that all of us should devalue our, devalue our currencies. We weren't part of the euro then. We did not do that, which was a good move. We didn't have the IMF come in, as they always do, and devalue the currency. Uh, we had this thing called an internal devaluation. We don't have to get into it. But he was basically calling out Paul Krugman on Twitter, and that's kind of took him to fame, uh, ills as well on this. But um, anyway, uh, there's there's all sorts of interesting things there. I still have some receipts. I want to go. Going, I want to go on. So the idea that the comparisons uh, that I hear make again, unfortunately, Scott Horton has made on your show. The the one that seems to be made is between the United States and Canada. You might remember uh, sort of talking about again this idea that. Russia deserves to have this security apparatus. It deserves to have these legitimate concerns about its security, you know, valued by the world. Okay. And the example you gave on your show was, let's suppose that the people of Canada all of a sudden just want to become communist. And let's say that they want to align forces with the Chinese. Scott said, what do you think the CIA would do? They'll be in there in a second. They'll take over Canada in a second. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll uh, agitate and stop that in a second. All right. That sounds like a nice example, except that's, first of all, besides being absurdly unrealistic <laughs> and unfair to every single can Canadian and acting like they don't have agency or have a brain, uh, that's not the example that he has used in prior years, okay? Now, I didn't, uh, I, I did track this down, but I remember him saying this, so I, I have a, a quote. This is how he used to talk about the, the Canadian example, all right? America's backyard is the entire Pacific Ocean, and yet... Russia can't even be the dominant neighboring influence in Ukraine, which is their little Canada, their Russia Jr., which the Americans made clear that's why they wanted to take it away from them, because it was so important to them. He quoted Gideon Rose. He said that uh, Ukraine is Robin to their Batman. Uh, he also, again, mocked the U.S. politician establishment case about Russia is that uh, it's basically a gas station with a border, which is true. Uh, and we can talk about the Yale report. Their economy is being cratered as it should because free and independent logical companies are taking their capital away. Thousand companies have left Russia because it is a gas station on the board. It has nothing uh, that, uh, you know, you should defend or want your capital to be in. But anyway, he was, uh, this, is, this is his view of, that's actually his view of, of Canada, is that um, Canada basically just exists because the United States lets them. It's, it's the American, American's little brother. It has nothing. It's basically just, let's, let's be honest. All right? I, I, I'm, I don't believe that I'm misinterpreting him at all. He, he believes that Canada basically exists security-wise because the United States lets them. All right? The more appropriate example you can say, the only appropriate example you can say with the United States and Canada would be if the United States today in 2022 invaded Canada. That would be the appropriate comparison between what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. Has nothing to do with Russia's security interests. Russia's worried about NATO, which we'll get to NATO in a second. Russia's worried about NATO. They're so scared. They can't handle themselves. They're peeing their pants. Like Ukraine is just such a dangerous place for them. It's got Nazis, has to be demilitarized, all the rest. Do you see the absurdity of that statement? So he's changed his rhetoric. His rhetoric used to be now, sure up, Canada exists because we let them. That's, that's, that's what he thinks of Canadians. That's what he thinks of Canada. And again, that's absolutely packed around his disillusionment with the government and the empire. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying that the United States doesn't have problems with its imperialistic means. I would, do I have to do my disclaimers again? All right. Iraq, Afghanistan, I don't agree. I don't agree. Okay. Those were invasions. But this is an invasion too. 
Why do you defend this man? Why do you defend him? All right, so let's do the next one. All right, so basically here he's now steel manning the establishment case. This is from the Tom Woods Show, episode 1689 in July 2020. All right, he is steel manning as he thinks uh, the political establishment of the United States, which is always wrong, says about Russia. He, he says, they think, you know, this is revanchist Russia, the return of the Russian empire, if not the USSR. Putin is the czar, and he essentially wants to reconsider all of Eastern Europe if we don't stop him. Everything that Russia does is, quote, Russian aggression. Everything thing that American do, America does is defense of democracy and purity and freedom and loveliness and probably Jesus and other things that you like. Of course, it's nonsense. That's what he said. Goes on. Putin does stand for election from time to time. Says Hindenburg is actually the best comparison for you. We'll be sad when he's gone. We don't know how good we've got it. We've got essentially a very stern right-wing Republican in charge. He's not a complete anti-Democrat. He is a strong man, but he has a parliament and regular elections, and he's not naming himself czar and this kind of thing like in the fantasies. That was from 2020. All right. And this kind of thing, you can just, you can superimpose these words. Doesn't matter if they come from Scott Horton on Tom Woods or any sort of uh, American empire loathing classical liberal that just all they do every day on the show all day is talk about how bad the U.S. government is. You can superimpose those words on any of them. But, but I would just ask you, do you think that he was correct in that assessment or is the more correct assessment, God forbid, the mainstream establishment view of Russia? at the time in 2020. I think some people are so disenfranchised and disillusioned with uh, central government and mainstream news and media that, that whenever there is a commonly held view, they have, to, they have to look for an alternative. There has to be something wrong with it. It doesn't matter whether it's Ukraine, whether it's COVID, whether it's whatever it is. There seems to be a... And it was like the, the alternate meme. It's like... I oppose the current thing. Yeah. And I think the most credible people are never in one camp or the other. Yeah. They have opinions, which is case by case. Yeah. But I think we've got to this point that people are so disillusioned now and they've built an identity or identity around being counterculture, counter political, uh, whatever the, the counter political party view is and counter uh, the media opinion. So if the, if the media is supporting Ukraine, and the government's supporting Ukraine, well, there must be something wrong here. There must be some corruption. Zelensky must be corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, there must be Nazis. There must be a reason. must be a reason other than Putin is a psychopathic dictator invading a sovereign country. And it's become a real problem because I think, I think people have become, I almost, I don't even know how to put it, but it's kind of like irrational in their views on what's going on in the world. Yeah. 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. But and I'm stuck in this place where like in the cohort of the people that my show goes out to, there is a large group of people where I try to have these conversations with them and I get laughed at and memed at. And I'm like, what the fuck is going How are you not seeing what I'm seeing? And my assumption is, is I'm in Europe. I'm a European. Sure. Okay. We, we get on pretty well. We're quite civil out here. You know, it's a different culture, a different way of life. I think America's built on friction. And that's okay. It's a different way of doing things. Yeah. It's built on that friction. I think we're just built on a, a, a different culture where we try and figure out how to get along. I mean, the scars of World War II, we, 
you know, I wasn't a fan of the EU, but we built a way to live in harmony and work together. And, you know, I can go to almost any part in Europe and everyone just gets on. It's yeah. like a, Europe's quite nice. <laughs> and you have to generalize. I mean, you know, these are big topics, right? Yeah. We're saying Russians, Ukrainians, Americans. I like to say Texas libertarians. It gets the point across a bit more. But I mean, it's, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, uh, as you said before, correct me if, when I said just Britain, I think it is Europe by and large that absolutely is united in this. So I'm super confident in that. And I would further say, look, if the Texas libertarians had their way, we got uh, Dave Smith, you know, the Mises caucus, they're doing quite well in the U.S., have at it, man. I would support you 100%. You would have my vote uh, if you can actually starve the beast, whatever you want to do, whatever your strategy is, okay? Uh, if you want to get them out of NATO, go ahead and try. Go ahead and, and try, and we'll see what the rest of the people have to say. And again, this goes back to like, America is so huge. It's different. We talk about Estonia, where it's very, very small. It's 1.2 million people or something. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Latvia is like, had 2.3, now it's about two. Uh, Lithuania, about three. So very, very small. Uh, countries, and you can get a better sense for the the people and the feeling and the leadership. All right, you just don't have that in America. So I, again, I understand their frustration. I understand it. But you know, even Michael Malice says he might not be alive to see a pure. I think he says he probably won't be alive to see a pure anarcho-capitalist society. I, I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to say, right? So where are you going to go from here? What do you want? Right, do you want to, you know, just turn your back on everything, all the good values that America has? Uh, has even even if you want to do it in the most rosy terms like born and bred throughout the world it's only in you know, only america or you know do you want to do you want to just try to be a little bit more reasonable about it and support people that are having their sovereignty their soil their land invaded by an aggressor so that's um that's i think a big a big uh a big part of it. Do, do you think part of the reason other people are also nervous about offering support in that it's, I think there's kind of two major nations people would be pretty scared to go to war with. One's yeah. China, one's Russia. Yeah. Well, for, for obvious reasons, yeah. because the escalation. Yeah. I, I, let's, I'm, I'm, it's bullshit from, from me from this side. Okay, we're not talking about invading Moscow. No, Who I, know, is, I know. No, but it's a real point. Who is talking about invading Moscow? We never were. It's a shithole. Yeah. We never want to go there. St. Petersburg and Moscow are the only places that's like any sort of semblance of a civilization. All right. We're going to get to all this. All right. Uh, let's talk about Putin just for a second. Okay. This is the idea. Okay. As you can see, Scott Horton is perfectly fine saying in 2020, many people as well, they have a democracy. It's a, vi a, a, vibra a vibrant uh, economy, growing economy. In, uh, in Moscow, it's very nice. They do not have a democracy. Thank you. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> obvious to say. I mean, they, but these are the things that are said. It just said that in the quote that I, I said. He's at least not anti-Democrat, said that there. The, the best, the most rosy terms they might say, uh, not even the most rosy terms, they, he's called it a democracy, stands for election from time to time. Uh, I think when a you're a strong man, I think when you're, uh, yeah, I think when you're murdering your political oppositions or trying to poison them or putting them in jail consistently for uh, bullshit corruption yeah. charges, when you are rumored to be potentially the richest person in the world, yeah, and he is, he yeah. is as Bill Browder said, yeah. I think the take is probably fifty percent and all that stuff. There's a lot of good books we can link them as well in the show notes that I, I would recommend. But um, there is no democracy in Russia. No democracy at all in Russia. Russians are fucked. And, and the, as far as the visa issue, that's another issue, which we'll talk about in a second, which is going to screw them more. And I think 
as long as Russians can see that there's no other way. Look, at some level, you are going to get the government that you deserve. And it's only going to be them uh, to stop what's happening. It's only going to be them. It's the Russians that are mining the Zaporizhia power plant right now in Ukraine, weaponizing that, which is very, very bad. Anyway, uh, quickly on Putin, just because people still don't understand who Putin is. Uh, Lex Friedman's a good example. All right, this guy is, you know, grew up in the Soviet Union. He, for like the very early part of his podcast, I would listen to every comment he had about Russia. He thought that Putin was like just this naive kind of wannabe uh, diplomat who like was trying to gain self-respect in the West. He would, but he was a little bit naive about the way that Western politicians would treat him. He was a good guy. Yeah, he had his connections to the intelligence agencies, but he was just a little bit naive. And that's like, you know, it took him a long time of, you know, being scarred and rejected by the Bush administration. Uh, a lot of rejections by the Obama administration. You know, a lot of things like that. that it took him a long time to get to where he is now, 22 years later. Not true in the slightest, all right? Russia's never had a democratic election. Yeltsin, complete just madness in the 90s. Uh, the oligarchs re-elected Yeltsin in 1996. The oligarchs, Boris Berezovsky, uh, Gusinsky, Chubayas, all these guys, they got him re-elected in 1996. Uh, in, uh, in 1999, Putin is appointed prime minister, and then he is appointed president immediately at the end of 1999. Boris Yeltsin resigned. He has one election, which is still disputed by most international organizations that it was even, uh, wasn't ballot stuffing. And then every election since has always been disputed by international organizations that it's not legitimate. Okay. And again, we're not talking about blockchain stuff here. Like this is meat space. You are going to have to use multiple uh, frames of reference, multiple pieces of proof to prove something. You can't just run a hash and make sure this is, this is what happened. It's just not how it works in the real world today in 2022. And all organizations have said that Russia has never had a legitimate election, at least since 2004. But basically, 1996 wasn't legitimate or nor 2000, in my view. And there are other organizations that said the same about 2000 as well. And in 96, the oligarchs elected him. In 2000, Vladimir Putin stole, he took, he privatized, actually he nationalized. He took for himself, but he nationalized by the government. The uh, most critical private news network is called NTV. It was owned by an oligarch, Gusinski, in the year 2000. That he was like, he took it back from him, Gusinski was one of the oligarchs that got him elected. In 2001, Boris Berezovsky, he was another of the oligarchs that got him elected. He took his news channel, the entire network, the entire television network he took in 2001. In 2002, 2003, he starts taking aim at uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who's now in exile in Switzerland. He was in jail for uh, nine years, 10 years, uh, was freed just before the Sochi Olympics. He took his ill-gotten gain. We can talk about the oligarchs in a second, but let's just leave them aside. His ill-gotten gain business for sure. I mean, he was not innocent in the way that he got the business, but he had the largest, he was the largest, most successful oligarch in Russia, had the largest oil business by far in Russia, private held oil business in the world. Putin took it by 2003. Do you remember when Navalny was uh, taken in in January of 2021, I guess it was, and the day- yeah, put in jail, went back from Germany, he was poisoned mm. by Novichok, which yeah. Russia loves to do to its dissidents, you know, never says them by name. He used to call it Navalny the German patient. Uh, couldn't say him by name because, you know, why give any credibility to people that are going to stop you? Never would say him by name. He was scared of him. Tried to poison with Novichok in Russia. Uh, got better in Germany. Went back to Germany, was arrested. The day that 
that Navalny w- was arrested in Russia, his team released a massive, important video, which I have recommended, seen the Putin's palace. This is not a surprise to- Have you seen this? No, I've not seen it. You've got to see this building. It's like a, it's, it's, it's like a it's Russian, a, yeah. uh, it's like a Bond, yeah. uh, 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 a Bond lair. You know, like the baddie in the Bond yeah. movies. Search yeah. it up. This building's so what's it called? Putin's palace, Putin's palace should be the English translate. It's the video is released in Russian. Later, they release an English yeah. version. Uh, there's subs on the Russian version. It's 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 definitely watchable. It. We'll put it in the show notes. It's incredible. Yeah, and so this was not a surprise to me. Anybody who follows Russia, we know that he's been building this all right for years. But what I did not know, and they showed in that video, do you know when they started? collecting the lands. The FSB owns the land. It's like the size of 20 Monaco's. And Russia does not have a big Black Sea coast. It's like the main cape on the coast. Like everybody knows that it's there. But, you know, it's the open secret, right? The FSB owns the land, former KGB, they own the land. There's a no-fly zone over it. Do you know when he started to, uh, to, to, to work on this project? I have no idea. 2003. What? You'll know because it's got the two big spines that go <clears> up. <throat> I'm just struggling with the internet at the moment. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to find the right, the right word to describe Vladimir Putin. It changes, you know, my insults change every time. But I mean, a devil honky cunt. I mean, I don't know how to explain this guy. There's nothing redeemable about this guy. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's not for democracy. He's a thief. And he's a, he's a bad one at that because everybody, well, good in the sense that he succeeded for now. Good on him. Congratulations. Putin, you've only fucked your entire country and the whole world hates you and your economy's cratering, finally, as it should have been. But we have been warning about this for decades, decades. All right. I don't want to go too much off the but one more on NATO. Just one more quickly on NATO. You Hold got up. something? Just, just yeah. on, so when I watched that documentary, what was the connection with that? Like a, there's like the judo instructor or something. Do you remember that? Uh one of his friends that takes yeah. his fortune. Yeah, I mean, there, uh, I don't, I, honestly, I don't remember the judo instructor, right. but there's this cellist, uh, Roald Dugan, who is a cellist in like the, you know, Moscow Symphony or whatever, uh, from St. Petersburg, originally childhood friend. Maybe he's in St. Petersburg Symphony. Sorry if I got to fact check me on that one. But uh, he is a cellist and he's richer than Jay-Z. <laughs> so he's a billionaire. I mean, it's, comically bad if you would just push the veneer a little bit and yet i cannot fathom the lack of self-awareness the lack of understanding the hypocrisy if you're going to get on the tom wood show you're going to talk about liberty and freedom and economics and self-sovereignty and you're going to defend this guy you're going to say he has a right to his security you found it the, yeah i think so is it this Indeed it is. Yeah, but that's not the bit I was thinking of. That it is that, but there is that one building. Do you know the one that's like up long. into the um Yeah, there's like there's a winery there, there's uh I mean there's a helipad, there was gonna be a hockey rink, which may the thing is they had to rebuild it like three times because it's all that, that you know, Russian style, it's like secret. You have to sign NDAs, which don't mean anything in Russia, or you know, just the fear of death means something in Russia. And so they had to keep it secret. It just started to mold. Like he's never actually used it best we can tell. He's definitely been there, whatever, but it's, it's like moldy. They had to redo it. It's just an absolute, but it's like, it's like a Bond villain lair. It's just insane. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely insane. So yeah, like you see here, these are (laughs) renovations on a brand new palace. (laughs) It, 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 it's just been molded over. I don't know. There, there, there's wineries there. There's, there's just all sorts of things um, that are going to be horribly managed, mismanaged, and 
whatever. It's a no-fly zone. Mm-hmm. The FSB owns the land. Look at that. That's unbelievable. What is, what is that? Is that a church? There's got to be a lot of underground bunkers there as well. What are these weird little houses? Fucking hell, this is weird. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so should, I mean, what drives it? Is it just a power-hungry thief gangster? Yeah, it's a gangster state. It's yeah. always been that way. Uh, and, and so just to be clear, why is Russia so fucked up? Right? Why is Russia always causing problems? Why are they murdering uh, their ex-spies, their ex-agents with plutonium and Novichok on British soil? Why did they, and by the way, the reason they do that, uh, it was a former aide, I can't remember, it was a, one of the books I read, it was a former aide like Obama or even Trump said that the, the idea is basically the KGB is telling Russian governments, the FSB, KGB, doesn't matter what you call them, uh, we don't give a fuck about you. We don't respect you. We don't respect your rules. We don't believe in your rules. We're different people. We don't give a fuck. That's why they do it. That's why they do it. And it's specifically geared towards traitors, but it's also, of course, to instill fear in free societies. So again, why would we let this stand? Which finally, finally in 2022, now we have the Baltics, Finland, the Czechs did it, it's coming more. We've banned now uh, tourist visas for Russians, which is very, very important. And we need to continue that. Uh, I feel for every Russian dissident that lives in Europe, and there are a lot of them, I can, again, send some links if people want to follow the good people on Twitter that are actually, you know, posting lots of sources, lots of good stuff about, you know, why you should not be supporting this regime. They can't go back. They'll be killed. Uh, I feel very much for them. I feel very much for their people. But how many chances are we going to give them? Uh, Danny, if, if you can go now to that, the link that I sent you. And, and is it because we have to, yeah, as you said, you can't invade Russia. We have to drive a revolution from within. We've got to, yeah. yeah. And so what do you think of Nor when, do we want to. I don't know. Of course. Nor but, do we want to. What, what do you think when... Um, you say tennis players are excluded from tournaments or the Russian drivers are excluded from yeah. Formula One. What do you think about that? I don't know. I, I, I don't have a strong opinion. All right. I don't have a strong opinion. I know that there are a lot of people um, on the tour that support them not being banned. Maybe some that support them being banned. But I'd say things like that, which in my view are relatively inconsequential, but I guess it's interesting because a lot of eyeballs on the sport. You got to look at it just case by case. Mm. If it's something that it's like, look, this is an asshole who's been a propagandist for Putin. Maybe you'd want to ban him. If not, then maybe don't. I, I, I don't know. I don't have a strong, I'm not triggered by it one way or the other. Um, but I do think if we're talking now tourist visas, that might ban them unless they get a professional visa, like where they can stay, uh, that would ban them regardless. So I actually have to say I am more in favor of uh, these bans than I've ever been. And I am, look, my, my child, my daughter has Slavic blood. All right. I, I don't have um, any hatred to the Russian people. None whatsoever. Again, I, I hate even having to make those disclaimers. They're so juvenile disclaimers in the context of this argument where Ukrainians being raped, pillaged, murdered, sending washing machines home back to Siberia via Belarus post offices. All right. This is the kind of regime that you are supporting tacitly or not when you're saying all the things that Unfortunately, Scott said on your interview and many Texas libertarians say in many other places. Hmm. Uh, okay. Here's a good one on visa bans. Number one. So this guy's a very, uh, he was, grew up, yeah. I left Russia in 1995 as an exchange student. This guy, Sergei Radchenko, very uh, smart, well-versed 
Russian dissident, lives in Europe now. It was a deeply transformative experience that made me who I have become. So I will always be strongly opposed to measures aimed at blocking student exchange. Students exchange. Unmitigated folly. Okay, now, uh, this is Tomas Ilz, president of Estonia, former president of Estonia. He's an, he's an American Estonian, like I'm an American Latvian. To me, this hits the bullseye. Estonia is not, he's replying to this tweet. Estonia is not a social welfare agency for solving Russia's problems. We have no obligations to help a country that for 31 years has threatened us and now commits genocide in Ukraine. It's been 31 years. We fixed our country. We owe a country that ruined ours nothing. That's a fucking brilliant tweet. That is a fucking brilliant fucking tweet. Drop. Yeah, I got to follow this guy. He is, he is unrepentant, nor should he be. I mean, just straight to the bone, every tweet that he does. And he's the former president of Estonia. He coded, he helped turn Estonia into the digital, uh, you know, the digital residency country that it is today for many businesses. A follow up, Danny, read that one on, underneath. I should add that while we're a rather small country and small universities, we have a lot of 250 places and scholarships for Ukrainians at the National University in Tartu. Is that a tattoo? Yeah, uh, tattoo. Who needs it more, Russians or the Ukrainian students that are intent on killing, castrating, or raping? Yeah, I didn't even mention the mutilating, right? That, yeah. That's been going on. Okay, so... I mean, next, it's, it's blunt, it's for long, but it's, yeah. it's fucking good. Yeah, I mean, it, you really don't need to follow up to those words. Um, it explains the way that we feel about it, the way that yeah. we've lived with this. Like, we're, this is, we're done with this. Look, you are now invading Ukraine. We're not going to stand for it. And we're certainly not going to side with people who say that Russia's security interests are the problem here. Okay, next one. Uh, Ilves on Russians giving up Estonian. This one is fucking brilliant. All right. Now, Russia for years has had a program. Do, do we want to, is he tweet is quoting first? Is that important? No. Okay. So this is, again, there's an insane uh, video that I don't, I can't tell if it was, there's parody on this video. I can't tell if it's parody on parody or if this was actual parody, but it's the most insane video that was circulating on Russian telegram saying like, Russia is great. We have no cancel culture, cheap electricity and water, uh, beautiful women. Meanwhile, they just showed two girls, like little girls uh, running through the field when they say that. Um, I can't tell if it's parody or not. And then they say, you know, we have Christianity, no cancel culture. And then at the end they say, winter is coming, move to Russia. <laughs> It, it was circulating on Russian they Telegram groups. I love yeah, we got vodka. Always got a bad vodka. Yeah. Economy that can withstand thousands of sanctions. Time to move to Russia. Don't delay. Winter is coming. That's exactly how the narrator says in the video. It's but that's fuck, a bit. It's that's fucking a, odd. That's an odd way to end it. I I I I'm, I can't tell if that's parody, but there's definitely a parody of that one. Look, beautiful woman. They got okay. There's there's a woman. They got. All right. She is beautiful. Anyway, no, but before you see the children running while they're saying. I mean, all right, just. All right, now, um, Russia- But who's this for? This was on Russia Telegram and- Is this to-, for, to Apparently it, this is for Europeans because Russia's so fucked, they wanna say, oh, we're actually not so bad, move to Russia, uh, help our economy get back on its feet. No cancel culture, but we'll murder journalists. Yeah. It says yeah. state-controlled state, <laughs> yeah. state Telegram channels won't stop bragging about this video. Anyway, it's not really actually a point, but but yeah, to tee this one up for Mills okay. for, the, for the audio uh, uh, you know, listeners of the, pod, of the show here, um, again, actually, here's an interesting thing. When Soviet Union ended, uh, some Russians, so Estonia and Russia are unlike Lithuania. Lithuania is fairly homogenous Lithuanian. So they don't like they're again, this is another reason why they're like 
fierce, fierce critic of everything Russia always have been. Estonia and Lithuania have always been a little bit more balanced on a state level because we have a significant Russian ethnic minority population, about 27%. Okay. And they were all transplanted in during the Soviet Union, which again was an illegal occupation. All these things need to be taken into account. Again, in post-Soviet uh, Baltic countries, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Latvia and Estonia in particular, Lithuania to a minor extent, and the rest of uh, Eastern Europe as well. Russians that were transplanted in, okay, it was now free Russia. Like you could travel. We had a now Russian state. Yeltsin was supposed to be turning it around, all the rest. So there were programs by Russians to get Russians, native Russians in these other countries, the supranational state that was completely fictitious and transplanted all these people in, to get them to move back. Not many people wanted to go. That's something to, to take in mind. And also Russia... Russia was just at the time also admitted that they were not prepared to do much for them. Uh, now here he's talking about, uh, Ilves, Ilves describes exactly the program I'm talking about. Russia for years has had a program paying Russians abroad to move home. In some 20 years, a stunning five moved back from Estonia. Five. Unless I am mistaken, after some months, years, three wanted to come back to Estonia. Now, I don't know, I don't know the stats on Latvia, but I know that the phenomenon is exactly the same, okay? So, look, this is the, this is the bullshit, the naivete, why, you know, why was Lou Rockwell 10 years ago saying Russia was such a vibrant, beautiful place, democracy full of hope and peace and everything? Because it's absolute bullshit and not true. This is the reality. All right? In Latvia, there's a small town it's called Dalgopils, about 100,000 uh, mostly ethnic Russians, okay? That's just where they, that's where they've lived and congregated, whatever. You couldn't, you couldn't sell them a Russian passport. All right. They are Russians. They are Russians. Some of them are old believers, which means they even came back before the Soviet Union. Uh, but anyway, you could not sell them a Russian passport. And if you said, look, if, if Vladimir Putin came to you, came to one of these Russians with a passport and said, please take our Russian passport and exchanged in from your Latvian passport. They would tell him to fuck right off. These are Russians <laughs> in Latvia, Russians in Estonia. The proof is right there. It's right there. This is the reality of Russia and how Russia's near abroad, which is a Putin term, right? About he needs to protect his near abroad. This is how they look at him in reality. This show is brought to you by the Pacific Bitcoin Conference hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and the 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Corey, Yan, and Brady for years, and they are pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference along with Natalie Brunel and Stefan Levera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to have the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. There's going to be a surfing simulator, and it's going to be loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They are bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin in to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation-state adoption and mining to lightning. You do not want to miss out on the inaugural Pacific Bitcoin Conference. It's going to be a badass event. I'm going to be there. I cannot wait to go. I cannot wait to see you all there. Now, Swan is offering a massive 20% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to pacificbitcoin.com and use the code PETA. That's P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETA. Next up today, it is Ledger. 
Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is, and Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger has recently announced the launch of their new Nano S+, and the larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. The Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. And listen, I have been a customer of Ledger since early 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, it is BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money cannot buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against others and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is definitely the best Bitcoin casino out there. And if you want to find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And remember, please gamble responsibly. Also today, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without ever selling their Bitcoin. And with recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserve attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. But not only are Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. So what, why is there so much division around the border regions then? And why was there so much conflict? I watched a documentary recently. There was a you know, lot of hostility between Ukrainians and Russian Ukrainians yeah. around the Donbass region. Like what was that division that was being stoked? Is it historical yeah. division? So uh, now we can get into Ukraine a little bit. Um, Ukraine proper, where, you know, it's pre uh, even 2014 invasion. This is going on for eight years. It's pre-2014 invasion borders in Ukraine, not counting Crimea, was always ethnically Ukrainian. Okay, it was always. Uh, even uh, in the Donbass, it'd be like 56%, I think, was the was the last census that was ever done. It was never a below-majority Russian. It is true, though, that in the Donbass, in that area, they had more trade with Russia. They were coal mining towns. They just had, you know, the Soviet Union, like you're always speaking Russian anyway. They didn't have really uh, a Ukrainian identity uh, the way that uh, Western Ukraine has. So uh, just to be clear, they are ethnically Ukrainian primarily in that region, but not by much. Okay. So, you know, how, how these things came about, I mean, they came about post-Maidan, which we can talk about as well, because Scott Horton thought that was all uh, started by Nazis and by uh, the CIA. Uh, Post-Maidan, the Donbass had You should two, probably explain what Maidan was. So Maidan was, right? was yeah. the Euro-Maidan yeah. revolution that happened in 2014. Uh, I was there. Many of my friends were there. Uh, it started in November 
of 2013. It moved into February of 2014 and eventually culminated in the a few things. It was the ousting of former President Yanukovych of Ukraine, who, where did he flee? Did he flee to Syria, Italy, uh, New York? No, he now lives in a multi-million dollar penthouse in Moscow. Okay, so. Was this when they had the snipers up on the- yeah. Yeah, the heavenly, the yeah. heavenly hundred. Those were his people. Right. His security services that shot them was the yeah. conclusion of that event. Um, and I was there. It was the most. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an investigative journalist or whatnot. I, uh, I just you know have a humble podcast. I have friends in Ukraine, but I can tell you that being there in, uh, it was in February of 2014. It was the most that I've ever felt. I was close to a war front. It was extremely, uh, it was extremely tense. The whole, so what basically what happened is like an Occupy Wall Street, mm-hmm. but it was Occupy Maidan. Maidan is the Freedom Square in Ukraine. Uh, that's it was basically occupied, and it was a real thing. Okay, about a million Ukrainians came to Maidan and all around Ukraine during that time. And why did they come? Because Yanukovych reneged on one of the first agreements that would have helped for EU accession, moving towards the EU, which Ukraine, a country of forty million people strong, not at all. Uh, a country of 40 million Nazis, a country of 40 million people strong, was ready to move towards the EU. They had been agitating for it. They wanted it. And so it was a revolution that actually started by students in November of 2013. I was there. Uh, many people were there. It was, it was, it was an unbelievable thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, trying to think about how deep I want to go here on that issue. But basically, um, Maidan ended with the ousting of Yanukovych. The people got him out, which was a wonderful thing. It was actually the second time. The first time he was out was in the Orange Revolution in 20, 2004. Again, Scott Horton liked to just throw in there that it was all the responsibility of the CIA. Yeah, I was going to say, these CIA people, plot. These pa- people have no agency, right? They must just be dumb Ukrainians, all right? Because they have no agency. They can't think for themselves. They, they take absolutely no agency. It's all got to be the CIA. It's just remarkable to think that. Now, uh, I want to address one of the things. So Scott always... Uh, likes to bring up the Victoria Newland call, which was a leaked call that after the Maidan had occurred, there were th- there were four factions actually. There was Klitschko, the former boxer, mm-hmm. uh, his faction. There was uh, Yatsenuk, and there was uh, Timoshenko. She was uh, jailed, uh, you know, political prisoner basically under the current prior regime. She was her faction, um, and then it was the Maidan. Maidan itself kind of became a faction. It was a live like part of what was going to happen next with the government because Yanukovych fled. He had the most corrupt mansion ever. This was like, uh, they turned it into a museum. It was insane. I mean, gold-plated toilets, whatever. I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but it was just insane. The stuff that he stole, everything was insane. He also had a black book, by the way, which his party, the Party of Regions, had, it had billions of dollars of bribes over his last uh, tenor, billions of dollars of bribes. Uh, Paul Manafort was in that book. Uh, many people were in that book and, uh, these, this, all right, this, these signatures were verified. Uh, they would even, the remarkable thing is this, this black book was signed by some of the party regions, which is his party, this Donbass region, all right, which was more corrupt, more Putin friendly, more favorable toward Russia. They signed these, these bribes. Like, all right, I agree with you on this one. I'll take the money. It was, it had signatures of the people that were basically, you know, you know, how corruption works, right? Like everybody's got to be a part of it. If someone wants to get out, you can't get out because you're guilty too. That's how corruption works, right? So they actually had it on paper and the signatures were verified after the fact. This was found in his, uh, in his, uh, in his residence, his presidential residence. So anyway, 
these were all the different factions. It was absolutely not a CIA coup or whatnot. And there was a, a phone call that was leaked, all right? Uh, Victoria Newland, who, this woman, I mean, she's like the undersecretary of state, I think at the time. She was handing out cookies in Maidan, you know, in, in good U.S. leadership style, not really uh, putting on a good, a good face for the U.S. Just, it's, a, it's a bit cheeky, going around handing out cookies during this, like, revolution. And, um, and yeah, and, and she, they were trying to say who they wanted to get into the new regime. And they said, they think it's Yatsenuk. She said, fuck the EU, all this. And it looked bad. It looked bad. But again, can you point to that as being that the CIA is something that was running this? Yatsenuk wasn't even, he was the interim prime minister. Now he's out. Uh, and even before that, uh, this Yanukovych, this corrupt Yanukovych, who now lives not in Italy or Syria or wherever, he lives in Moscow, uh, is there was like a $30 million penthouse that is probably well down now, at least uh, since in valuation. He was ousted twice, right? So in 2004, that Orange Re Revolution, which again, CIA plot, of course. Uh, if you remember Team America, you remember, oh, yeah. um, you know, the puppet who's uh, Yushchenko was his name, who beat him, came back because it was a rigged election. He had like the pockmarked face. He got poisoned. He got poisoned. Uh, of course, Russian influenced the uh, election there. And the Ukrainians threw him out then. They got back in because there was a lot of Russian influence in that Donbass region. And then the Ukrainians threw him out again in 2014. Look, is it perfect? Is it an ideal society? No, I, absolutely not. I can't, I can't uh, tell you that. But there, there was a clear movement from Ukraine, a country of 40 million people who had agency, who wanted to move towards the West, wanted to move toward Europe. There was a clear agitation for that from everyone, from students, from everyone for 30 years. And, and look, in 2014, they, they almost made it happen. And that's what sparked the revolution. And then since then, it's basically over for Ukraine. Now it's officially over. And as far as over, when I say it's over for Ukraine, I mean, they're never looking back as far as like big brother Russia. All right. Another thing, like Kremlin always, I'm, I'm jumping topics here now. Kremlin always deflects and projects, right? They say they want to denazify or demilitarize. That's exactly what should be happening to them. But this is, Putin is not, you need to understand that when Putin speaks, all right, he's just trolling. He's a good troll and he learned it over 22 years. I would be a good troll as well if I had like a whole Petro state at my fingertips and if I had, you know, all of these advisors basically just watching Western press, running the internet research agency, telling me the things that, Donald Trump supporters might want to hear or some, you know, anti-Obama uh, faction might want to hear. That, that's all that he's doing. He's just putting this stuff out to the West all the time, every day. This is little statements. And that's, that's just what, that's, that's what they are doing. They are just trolling the West to say like, yeah, we're a really level-headed, normal society too. I haven't stolen all the wealth in my country. Russia is the third largest export of oil in the world. Do you know how much of GDP they represent? 3%. Third largest oil exporter in the world. 3% of global GDP. It's an absolute banana republic. Absolutely. All right, so all these things. Look, it's corruption. All I can say is the reason that Ukraine uh, blew up in the... Uh, in, so you, after this Maidan revolution, Ukraine... Uh, had these two Donetsk and Lugansk uh, people's republics, all right? The only reason that they signed over was because of the FSB, all right? It wasn't Russian 
uh, it wasn't Russian peacekeepers coming in. These were FSB agents. Uh, this guy, Igor Gherkin, absolute scumbag. He cut out the stomach of one of the local uh, councilmen's uh, stomach in, in like the, in 2014. The, everything was at gunpoint. All right. And that, and that includes Crimea as well. Crimea was at gunpoint. Lugansk, Donetsk was all at gunpoint in 2014 by the FSB. And they shot down MH, MH17 months later in July of 2014. We just forgot about that as the West. We, we forgot about it. The Dutch were pissed. But the Dutch, you know, as they do, they just kind of went on <laughs> stiff upper lip and like they just. Well, I think, um, what's his name? Elliot. Um, the guy they do the research. From Bellingcat. Yeah, Bellingcat. Elliot, Elliot Higgins. Higgins. Yeah, Elliot oh, yeah, Higgins. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they did the work. They did the work on MH17. I mean, it, yeah, it's been proven. It's yeah. like the 53rd regiment. I think it's the number uh, just across the border. Um, brought that book in that serviced the air missile. Uh, that took down the plane. I Igor Gherkin was in charge of that as well as an FSB agent. Yeah. He's an absolute scumbag imperialist. Um, there's so many of them. They were all agitated and doing all this stuff. And look where it got them. Look, look where it got them to be closer to Mother Russia, to be closer to the security. It's what just, do you think is driving it all, though? Like, what, why? Like, I think a lot of people want to know why. Do you just not care? You just don't give a fuck? Just he is a gangster, fuck him. No, I think he wants blacks, his resources. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. They have huge oil and gas resources. Even more have been discovered uh, since the initial invasion, my understanding. Why does he Even want more, more resources? Though? Because he's a corrupt criminal <laughs> and he just takes them all. As, as Bill Browder says, uh, who is probably the Western of the Vladimir Putin hates the most. And because Vladimir Putin usually speaks in this KGB speak, like I said, he never says the name of the people that he opposed him, like Navalny, he never says the name, says and calls him the German patient. He doesn't think that Americans can pick up on that. So he, <laughs> he actually said, this private US citizen, he used to be a hedge fund manager in Russia. He started this thing called the Magnitsky Act, which was taking away visas and uh, it was freezing orders on oligarchs and stuff, which was their Achilles heel. Because again, they just steal this stuff and they say they hate Europe. They hate, they hate woke culture in Europe. But where do all the oligarchs go in the summer or the winter? They're in Cannes, they're in Antibes, they're yeah. in Nice, all the rest. So again, we're, we're on a lot of different topics here now, but um, how did I want to, I, I thought I could wrap this up. Oh no, what does he want? He, he obviously wants to go all through the Northern coast of the Black Sea. He took Crimea, we didn't do anything. It's their land, it's Crimea. I'm talking about Crimea as well in a sec. He took all of their land all the way on the north part of the Black Sea. He wants to take Moldova, which doesn't have any Black Sea coast, but he wants to take that and, and then it, move on. Is it for the ports? Is, is it like strategic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Crimea is a historical freeport. Um, and another thing, like this was another thing, Scott, unfortunately, center in your show is like, you know, there was only five people that like this just enraging foe effect care that he was putting towards the people of Crimea. He was like, you know what? Five people died. I'm really sad for those five people that died, but it, that's all that happened. It was a very successful takeover of Crimea. It's not their land. It's not their land. It's the Ukrainians land. The Russians took it. Again, the only Canadian U.S. example that makes sense that Scott Horton should say is if the United States tried to go and take Canada. We're not going to do that. You can talk all you want about the empire that you hate or the deep state or the CIA or whatever. It's not their land. They have some agency. Okay, so Crimea. Russia has about 130 years of czarist rule over Crimea, all right? But before that, it was ruled by the Ottomans for 600 years. 
600 years. And after the czars, it was uh, an autonomous region of the Soviet Union for the first half of the Soviet Union before World War II. After World War II, then it was part of Ukraine. Okay, so you break up the Bolshevik, you break up the independent Ukraine. The only time that Russia owned Crimea or had any claim on Crimea was was about 130 years. It was like uh, late 1700s to start of the 20th century, 130 years. And just to say that that's okay, that they can take it because at those times, uh, that's, that was like the claim of the Russian empire. You gotta, you gotta, again, push on that veneer. There were Jews there. There were genuines there. It was a free port. I mean, and regardless, it's not, it was not Russia's at the time. It was Ukraine's. Russia, as well as Germany, as well as everybody signed agreements at the dissolution of the Soviet Union. We gave, by the way, Russia signed an agreement that, and Germany signed an agreement, they gave up Kaliningrad. All right. So again, Scott Horton wants to think that there's like some statute of limitations, but it only goes back to the people that try to prove his point, like Tsarist Russia. All right. Tsarist Russia had, the, again, the pale of settlement, the most anti-Semitic uh, group of people in Europe was under Tsarist Russia. And like that you're trying to make all of these examples to prove your point about the most despicable people of any part of Europe, all right? And when in reality, let's talk about the statute of limitations. Lithuania and Poland had the biggest state in Europe for 500 years, all right? Latvia and Estonia did not. They were more like tribal states. There were more, I don't know, they were, they were tribes that were kind of under more of the German empire most of the time. But Lithuania absolutely was not. Lithuania had the biggest state for 300 years in Europe from about uh, 1300 to 1600, and then from 1600 to 1800, uh, it was Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. It was the biggest state in Europe before or since other than the European Union. So what, what do you want to talk about like a statute of limitations? That's, that, those are the people that were governing Ukraine. And by the way, when you talk about like who's governing at that time, like it was just to pay your taxes. It's not like Putin was running, or not Putin, uh, like the czar, Sorry, I get Putin and Tsar, I'm confused a lot, but it's not like the Easy Tsar done. was running around, you know, and like just mutilating people and doing things that uh, we've started to do in the 20th century. People could do their business. Uh, people, you know, it was a very, the Tsarist sort of idea is a very like, it's not like there's some, it was a light touch, let's say, okay? But regardless, Tsarist Russia gave you the pale of settlement. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, if you want to go there, was much older, had more of a dominance of Ukraine than Russia ever did. And they were free. The Jews were free there. The Catholics were free there. This was Lviv, Lemberg in Germany. This is all of, and Kiev as well. All of that was for 500 years, 500 years, part of the Polish-Lithuanian, the Lithuanian Grand Duchy, then the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And Scott Horton thinks that we need to focus on 130 years of Tsarist Russia. Have, you, have you reached out to Scott? Uh, I have been tagged by uh, listeners of mine to debate him. I have said that I would, no response. Um, I'd be happy to. You maybe have to go to Texas to do it. <laughs> I don't think it could be done remotely. I'd be happy to. Um, okay. It's a lot. I mean, it, yeah, it is a lot. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, and, and you're fired up in the most impressive way. I mean, me and Danny have just like, it's a terrible subject, but at the same time, like we've been just looking at each other and then just 
in agreement that this is the right show to make. I'm, I'm glad you reached out. I'm glad you came and did it. Uh, I'm glad you've corrected or brought in this alternative viewpoint to uh, to Scott's, which clarifies some things that I was having my own kind of doubts about. Um, the war's kind of been forgotten now. It's becoming... Not like, by us. Not by not people by, in not, No, of course not. But like in the West, it's not on the news as much as it was. We're not hearing or seeing as much. What what's the current status? What you know, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, and and it's at a lull. It's at a lull. Uh, the all the front, this sort of a summer lull, I guess. They're regrouping on the front of the West. Most of the fighting's in the South. In this Kherson city, which is right bordering this bridge, which has basically been uh, destroyed by these HIMARS systems that Ukraine got from the West, which is very good. So Russia is now in danger of going any further. They can't resupply. They have to make pontoons and stuff over the Dnipro. Um, but and, is, um, the, these reports that we've seen of the number of troop deaths of Russians and planes, are they, are they accurate or is that a little bit of propaganda? Because like 30,000 troops have been killed. It's been 30,000 for a while. Um, the numbers were higher at the beginning, I thought, and then they slowly, uh, they've, they've ebbed slow, more, more slowly now. Um, there's absolutely propaganda from the Ukraine side. I mean, the fog of war, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I would also encourage our listeners, or your, your listeners, to listen to my show. I interviewed Peter Todd in April. Uh, I, I respect Peter a lot. Peter has Ukrainian friends and he feels, I noticed Peter was like liking everything that I liked. Okay. And I was like, wow, uh, cause there's a don't trust verify guy. I need to talk to him about what's going on here. And I think that's a very important thing as well. It's like, you know, you have to use multiple sources. You have to use photos. You have to talk to people and everything. And there was this interesting exchange he had with Bruce Fenton, who was again, taking whatever the Texas libertarian view where it's like, I don't know anything he's about more this. New Hampshire libertarian. Yeah, no, I know he's not, but, um, yeah. there's a view. There's yeah, a view. <laughs> I'm going to keep using. I like Bruce though. I like Bruce a lot too, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, again, what I, everything I said about Scott's views are specific to this issue. Yeah. Doesn't mean on other issues we don't agree. When we talk about people's lives, it's, it's yeah, you're going to be fired up about some of those things. Uh, Bruce was arguing with Peter saying, I have, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know where to look. I don't know, understand any of the pictures. I don't know anything about this people. I don't trust the news. So Peter was explaining, look, if you are interested to learn, go, go to some of these sources. These are places I found trustworthy. If it's not. And look, again, this is a don't trust verify person. And he talked about this on our show as well. I was very happy with the interview. He actually said it was like, you know, one of the more important interviews he did. I agree based on the subject matter. And, but the, the horribly ironic thing about that discussion that they had was that was the morning of the Butcha massacre being unveiled to the world. That was just before. So, Again, like you can sit by and say that you, you know, you don't know anything, you don't know anything about it. There are plenty of resources there. Bellingcat is a wonderful resource, mm. wonderful people there at Bellingcat, absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, you can donate a, a great um, organization, I think, is uh, it's Lithuanian, it's called Blue Yellow. They've actually been there since 2014, as this war in Ukraine started in 2014. And they, they have a good organization, but there are plenty of, you know, set you up telegram chats, people that are willing to help. If you want information, you can absolutely get it. Um, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as far as, as, far as how, how to go about this stuff. It just doesn't work with don't trust verified, nor should it, right? That's, what's the Bitcoin ethos? It's like yeah. very little things are going to go on the blockchain. 
this stuff certainly isn't one, and nor can it be. When when um, when the uh, U.S. administration talks about sending forty billion dollars of funding, of which I don't know how much of that is actually funding for Ukraine, there's a lot of rejection of that. It's like you know, we've got our own domestic issues. Why are we sending so much money? Part of me was thinking, well, yeah, at times of war, you should help the people who deserve help. Um, if my government was going to be sending weapons or money to help uh, people defend themselves against an aggressor, I'm not opposed to that. But I understand certain people are. What, where, what opinion do you hold on that? It's a hard problem, yeah. war. It is the hard problem. And um, I, I think that if we are going to talk about, like, my uh, one of my friends is, like, great European libertarian, let's say, he, he doesn't like to use the words uh, the West, just that, like call us liberal, liberal democracies, call mm-hmm. it what it is. We know the values that we stand for. And if your nation is under attack, that's all we can do is try to help you defend it. And this, you can stretch this very far, all right? Like Taiwan, all right? What's happening with the Uyghurs? I mean, Kamath, Polyhapatia, remember that one? Nope, tell me that. We, no one cares about the Uyghurs? Oh, the Uyghurs, yeah, I know about the Uyghurs. No one cares oh, about Chamath. the Uyghurs. So Chamath. Chamath. Yeah, Kamath. Sorry, Chamath. Sorry, Kamath. Chamath. Chamath. Yeah. Polyhapatia. It's below my level. It's below of, my line. Yeah, fuck that guy. Though. No one cares about the Uyghurs. Yeah. See again. What an absolute. No, but he's a fucking asshole. No one. He's he, absolutely he, an asshole. He is a no one likes him. Rich, privileged, VC. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fuck absolutely. That guy. But I, I can't even. I can't even start with this like below my line or above my line stuff. Everything you need to be moving more boldly every day against evil in the world. So whether it's Taiwan, the Uyghurs, uh, Dave Smith said something interesting on some pod. I can't remember. He's like, you know, when you're talking about like shoring up your defense as America, and then talking about what are you going to do when, when say China takes Taiwan or whatever. He's like, look, I mean, we got to stand by and watch. And I'm like, I don't think that's the right answer. I mean, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, whether it's unfortunately, you know it doesn't mean that I'm allied with like plastic Nancy Pelosi who just goes there and, you know, her son is like on the board of some semiconductor company or whatever, which by the way, Chamath said, oh yeah, I'd much care about much more uh, what happens with Taiwan because they're semiconductors than I do about the Uyghurs. He said that. Yeah, probably because he wears investments. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. But um, look, I mean, and, and Dave said, you know, what are we going to go into Seoul? You know, if, uh, if China, you know, helps North Korea take that. Maybe, maybe. I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about saving and standing up for democratic, classical liberal values around the world. Liberalism. Like, what? what no one is talking about invading Moscow. How many times do I have to say Defense, it? Defense. No one is talking about invading Moscow. Yeah. Taiwan does feel like a particularly difficult problem. Yeah. And, I mean, I just... I. I tried to think what's going to happen there, but it's an escalating situation and it worries me. I don't see a scenario where the US or Europe goes to war with China. I think we probably will stand by and it will happen like it did with Hong Kong. I think it just will happen. I don't like what are the alternatives? Going to send warships there? Don't know. I mean, look, I want to be part of something that does defend Taiwan. I've been there. So the people are amazing. It's a great place. But like when you play it out, what is the scenario where you do defend Taiwan? Yeah. It's like, you know, do you make compromises? You're like, well, this is when you let go, but they invade your soul. It's a different. I don't know. I mean, I'm just a 
I ask simple questions to smart people. What do you think? I think that I think that we cannot stand by. It's 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 and it pains me to say that I actually uh, appreciate something that plastic Nancy Pelosi would have done. Right? I mean, this woman, you know, just insider trading galore, all the stuff. Like, you know, I'm not a fan of these leaders that we have. Okay, but there's so much that we can do. Are you talking about like economic pressures? Or are you talking about? No, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm not talking about military yeah, first, of course. of course. Yeah, of course. Would it become a situation where you try to, you know, help as we're doing sending weapons to Ukraine? Would that matter for Taiwan? Would it not? Um, I don't know, but I absolutely would not say that we should stand by. No, Nor should we stand by what's happening with the Uyghurs. Mm. Or I mean, like this is this is this is just unacceptable as far as if you want to be a modern liberal in the world and um, but some people don't want to be a modern liberal they want to be well, self-sovereign that's why we're talking about it yeah people have different views about what that means and i would say just stop the lack of self-awareness stop the lack of hypocrisy like you you know let's just let's just say it again you can be against iraq invasion you can be against afghanistan invasion you can be against ukrainian invasion it all works out pretty nicely like if, if that's our view, if our view is to be anti-war, you can be against these things. You don't just let it happen. You just let him take it because Vladimir Putin tells you he's worried about his security interests. And by the way, he was wrong. Uh, he also said that the Baltics joined NATO in 2008. They did not. They joined in 2004. 2004. Think about how long ago that was. 18 years. A lower level infantryman or maybe even a higher rank. All right. was barely a twinkle in his daddy's eye at that point. All right. Do you think after 18 years, the NATO argument holds that NATO is why? Remember the NATO argument? That was the big yeah, thing. That yeah. was the big thing a couple months ago. Yeah, there was what? The agreement in they weren't going to go, they weren't going to expand NATO into. That was ne it was never agreed. Well, Gorby said it. It was never agreed. Yeah. The not one inch that Baker said. There's a great book called Not One Inch. Uh, Gorby actually said in 2014, it was never agreed. And we all knew this as well and knew anything about the history. It was never, ever agreed. The not one inch was referring to U.S. nuclear weapons in West Germany going into East Germany. That's it. It was a passing comment. It was about nuclear weapons in the West of Europe and West Germany going into East Germany once Germany was reunified. Because that's all Germany cared about was being unified. That was the big thing of 1989, right, was mm. Germany reunifying. And then the Soviet Union fell. But that had nothing to do with the with nato expansion absolutely zero absolutely zero but more importantly that was 18 years ago what was he doing just sitting on his ass and like not, all of a sudden he was surprised that like nato was where it was and by the way we know what he's doing i just told you what he's doing <laughs> yeah. you know in 2000 2001 2002 2003 he was stealing he's a corrupt asshole cunt motherfucker honky and <laughs> this is what he was doing he's not anyone to be like you know championed or feeling that you know we should really think deeply about what this guy means. This it's it's just it's 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 a falsity. And the uh, the NATO the NATO thing as well. So that was 18 years ago. Nothing. Uh, just one more thing about that point. Nothing happened other than like Croatia, North Macedonia. Nothing else happened on Russia's border in between then and now. And uh, our countries. Uh, like the Visegrad countries, Poland, Hungary, the Czechs, Slovaks, the Balts, uh, they 
we were closer to the end of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, then, then now we are to when they joined NATO. I mean, it's been 18 years. It's like, you just can't overstate that. It's complete, it's just complete made up fabrication by the, it's not classical libertarians that are saying that, but they're definitely jumping on board with that. And then what further just blew a crater into this argument was who just joined in the last month? Finland, Sweden. Finland and Sweden. Finland's got a border. Finland has a border of thousands of kilometers with Russia. And what did Putin say? Oh, you know, we don't, we don't really care. We don't have any disputes with them right now. So was it ever about NATO? Was it ever about NATO? Or was it just about him dominating Ukraine and dominating the Black Sea and taking shit that he never owned in the first place, which is his MO? There's a lot in here. Um, uh, my brother, who's a researcher on the show, will be doing the show notes and he'll be diligent on them. But is there any specific resources you would recommend people to go to? Yeah. So as I mentioned, Blue Yellow, uh, Lithuanian uh, charity supporting Ukraine have been since 2014. Uh, that and It's just the closest to me. Uh, Lithuanians are just Herculean in what they're doing. Um, they're some of the fiercest critics of Putin's invasion, Putin's war, all the rest. So I would support that organization just because I, I know for a fact, talking about what you can know and verify, I know for a fact through friends and whatnot that resources are getting where they need to go. Um, there are plenty of resources and, and uh, pages, I should say, where you can donate Bitcoin to Ukraine. It's fantastic. Absolutely do it. I would encourage everybody to donate. You can donate anonymously or not, or however you want to do it. Um, Telegram groups and things like that. We can put them in the show notes uh, okay. if you want some more info. And just like any closing comments for anyone who, because when I did the Scott Horton show, there were a lot of positive comments of what people say, I'm glad you finally got mm. Scott on. Finally, got somebody talking about the truth from this side. There are a lot of people who, who yeah. maybe blindly or ignorantly follow Scott. And conversely, when they listen to this, we might be critical of you and sure. and say, no, you're wrong. You're, like, you got any final comments for these people? Yeah, no, I mean, it's not, none of this is a surprise to me. So uh, I'm well aware of, you know, if you were a Republican in the 2000s, you would be much more supportive of NATO than if you're a Democrat in 2022. It's very, uh, it seems like political football. It's very sad. I'm not happy with it. All right. I'm not happy with U.S. Empire as I you know, we don't have to go through all the, my disclaimers again. I'm well aware of it. I'm a fan of the philosophy. I'm a fan of all of it. I consider myself an Austrian. Uh, but as Mises said, we need to move ever more boldly in the face of this evil. And, uh, you know, again, he, his big evil was Nazism. And we need to understand when people are gaslighting, when people are absolutely exaggerating the situation, and they have no concept of really what is happening on the on the ground there's a veneer that is just very very shallow that if you have just a semblance as as those ilves quotes were showing like you know five five russians that really wanted to go back to russia okay this is what they really think about that country uh and and again we could go on and on and on about these topics but just to say like i'm intimately familiar with the region i'm int intimately familiar with uh ukraine and it's absolutely, in my opinion, paramount that we support something like this today uh, as much as you can. Donate, uh, support, retweet, do things like that, and just try to get 
good information out there that can help people learn and understand more about you know what the real evil here is and again no one is talking about invading russia we never have ever been talking about invading russia russia is the one that's doing the invading. again the deflection and uh the deflection and projection again it's always the case with russia and putin it's like you're not the victims we're the victims you know you're not the one that should be worried about your security we're worried about security that's a standard kgb type of uh discourse that russia has been practicing for as long as he's been in office well, I'm hugely appreciative of you coming in and doing this and sharing your thoughts and educating me and the listeners on things we might not know about. Um, we'll share everything in the show notes. Um, incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you for listening to the What Bitcoin Did podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Matthew. It was a pretty passionate interview. Matthew clearly disagrees heavily with Scott Horton. and I'm probably going to send the show over to Scott out of respect, let him listen to it, see what he thinks. Matthew was very emotional about the topic, but I am grateful to him for coming on. And there were some things about the interview with Scott that I wasn't too sure on. But Scott has such a deep knowledge, it was a very difficult one to kind of fact-check him or disagree with live on the show. But I'm glad Matthew came on to give me his alternative perspective. Anyway, if you've got any questions about this or any other show, feel free to get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And thank you to everyone who's been supporting my football team. We've had an amazing start to the season. Three wins in three. Tomorrow night, we've got another game. We're playing Letchworth Garden City Eagles. Keep an eye out for that. But hopefully, it will be another win. Okay, have a great week, and I will see you all soon. 